so sad they try to take Fernando's podium. Welcome everyone to Figuring Out the Formula podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm joined with Chandler and Patrick again. Um, thing I noticed that we don't do that normal race weekends have is tailgating. So we decided we're going to change that up a little bit. Um, before we get going into practice, we're all going to have some beer. Hey. You guys at home, join us. Cheers, boys. Uh, cheers. Cheers. So we're going to jump right into this now that we got our beers cracked, ready to go. Um, we're going to head into the practice session. So there wasn't a whole lot going on the last two weeks between the last Grand Prix and the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, but there were a couple of things where it, it kind of brings Mercedes back into the fold because their car sucks. So they have to do something. Um, basically, the first thing I want to talk about with you guys is Toto Wolf basically telling Lewis Hamilton, like, hey, it's okay if you want to leave us because Toto Wolf said publicly, about Lewis Hamilton, like if he left, it's fine. We understand we can't give him a winning car and he wants to get his eighth world championship. Well, go ahead and leave. So what do you, what do you guys think about what's going on with Toto Wolf saying that kind of things? To me, that's pretty alarming. Uh, I predicted that Mercedes would bounce back this year. Uh, Mercedes, obviously, you know, they're not a bunch of dummies. They have a ton of people working in their factory that work hard, just like every other team. You know, they killed it for eight years. But right now, they are really, really struggling, even more than what Toto or Lewis or anybody is saying, um, at, at least compared to their expectations. Yeah, they, I mean, how many, how many world championships did they win and constructor championships did they win in a row? They won seven drivers and eight constructors championships in a row which that's pretty unprecedented and then for them to go from that to struggling a bit last year with new regs which is tough and then this year now it sounds like everything's actually crumbling down internally for them which i predicted that they would bounce back this year i'm already throwing in the towel on that yeah Um, me too yeah, like it's, right. it's they're joining McLaren right there with it. Their drivers are great, and <laughs> they're bringing home points still, but they're still a very, very long way off from. Honestly, it looks like even fighting for a podium. Yeah, I don't think you know they're gonna go to the back of the pack or something, but they're not anywhere close to where they need to be right now. Yeah, it's just kind of alarming to like, like said, Patrick, of like, it's not, it's, you know, internally, like Toto and Mercedes, they're going to f- kind of fight to keep their driver. But when you're publicly coming out there and saying that, like, if I'm a stockholder in Mercedes yeah, AMG, sorry. like, that's, that's a sign of like, sell the stock off now because things are not looking good. Like you can think something privately, but don't ever come out and say that publicly unless you really think that ship has sailed. And, you know, Lewis is still I am arguably kind of the whole LeBron, Michael Jordan argument of like between Schumacher and Lewis. You think about it of he could go to a car like you put him in an Aston Martin right now and there's a chance he could that win. He, yeah, he, he could win a car right now. So, you know, I think it's a different conversation we get into when we discuss like where could he go to realistically get that eight. But the fact that, you know, you had such that dynasty for so long um, is just kind of shocking to see like that you're kind of you're almost kind of bracing all the fans for the hey, it's coming. It's about to end. And it's just hard to like come to terms with that. They're like this might really be ending. I think if you equate it to football, it would be like the Patriots dynasty years with Tom Brady. Can you imagine Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft just telling the media, Hey, we know we're starting to lose games, but if you want to go to Tampa Bay, like we really encourage you to leave our team. Like that didn't happen when when that whole Mm -hmm. stuff went down. That did not happen because what that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, the 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 thing for me, which I wanted to add on to, to Chandler's points about you know how Toto is talking about this, there's a big difference between saying we're struggling to figure out the car, something's just not working right, 
we've got something wrong with our concept versus saying we suck like they are now. And if I was a sponsor of Mercedes paying God knows how much money for X amount of years, you already know that they're all having lawyers look through their contracts to potentially find a way out if this really goes as bad as it does. Because in Formula One, it's not always just a mid-season or one-season turnaround with these kinds of things because of the regulation changes. It it takes years and years sometimes to get dug out of these holes if you've got something fundamentally wrong with your car. Yep. The old but, force majeure clause may be coming out in some of these contracts. Yep. Well, I mean, it already came out with one of Lewis Hamilton's friends. <laughs> Employees, trainees, uh, workers. What 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 was her actual title? I don't know what her. Her, I don't know her like literal title, like attached her name, but she was basically Angela Cullen was Lewis Hamilton's physio slash manager. So it's the the blonde lady who was literally attached to the hip to Lewis Hamilton. I mean, everywhere he went, she was right there with him. She had her own with like fanhood too, like her own following. Yeah, so I'll probably get heat for this, but. I mean, you were with him during for eight years because she started in 15. So you're with mm-hmm. him for eight years with a lot of championships. He's having some bad seasons. You just deuces. I don't know. That's, that's kind of. I'll say saying. judgment until we see, like, I'm sure because, you know, she talked about her next adventure and stuff. I, I'm sure we'll see what she's going to do. This ain't the Goonies. This is Formula One. Okay. I I'm going to pass. I'm going to save judgment until no, she goes off is, to what, till we find out what she's going to do. Maybe. Obviously, we don't, we, we are don't not know, going yeah. to know <laughs> no, until never. they officially say something. But part of me just seeing. You know, the people that go to F1 races and all the money and things like that involved, you know, there is some crazy stuff going on in the background that people do not know about. And I would pay a lot of money to just hear 10 minutes of stories. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would pay an obscene amount of money just to hear some of the ridiculous things that, you know, never gets caught by cameras. You know, she could write a book and a tell all, I mean, not even a tell all, just what happened in her eight years Mm -hmm. with Lewis Hamilton. And then, I mean, I I would read that cover to cover. Well, Angela Cullen, if you're listening, I apologize. If you could please come onto our show, that would be, (laughs) be really nice. You're a great person. You helped Lewis win all these championships. Thank you. All right. Anyways. Last weekend, we discussed McLaren being terrible and how they actually were putting all their clothes on sale on their website. Well, this just in, I actually bought one of those shirts. Let's see it. (laughs) Oh, it came with multiple L's. (laughs) I mean, I mean, we'll get into that later, but Jesus Christ, what, what do you guys think about like all these like part replacements already, like the power units. Can someone explain that? Yeah. So basically, you know, when it comes to the Formula One, there are a lot of parts that are regulated by the FIA in terms of giving, you're given an allotment of them. So, you know, the I, I'm, I'm just going to say the engine, but there are, we all know, like are those of us that are like know the support, know there's about six different components to the engine. Um, and like each of these different components, you are limited to a certain amount. Now, for example, the power unit that, for example, like Charles had, had burned out, you know, we talked about how he kind of had to already replace one before the race last weekend. And then the second one burnt out during the race. He was only a lot, that part, you're only allotted two per season. And if you have to use one after that, since you're over the allotment, you have to take a penalty for getting a brand new. Now, you know, we for those of us that have watched Formula One for a couple of years, we've seen where teams will like strategically take a penalty to get a brand new engine that is extremely fast. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, this was a case where I'm not sure the actual components, but this was like Charles was a power component where he gets two for the year and he already burned up both of them on the uh, first race of the year. So anytime he has to replace that for the rest of these races, you know, there's 23 races on the calendar. So after race one for the next 22 races, he either had to make 22 races with just that one component or each time he takes a new one, he's got to take a penalty. So. So it was, I know Leclerc and then I think it was Lando in DeVries. Yeah. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. quite remember the exact part that was replaced on DeVries car. 
I think what, what was Lando's grid penalty? Did he even take a grid penalty? No, because it was his first no, one. Because it was his first one. Yeah, I was thinking between all the the pit stops last week, something failed. But uh, um, that's that's for you guys to do. His on. his team failed him. That's <laughs> yeah, what failed. Yeah, McLaren failed. Yeah, nothing really happened between last Grand Prix and this Grand Prix. Obviously, by what we've talked about, uh, do we just want to take this train right to Pat's paddock? Yeah, why not? Yeah, the station is open, baby. <laughs> So this week, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the main positions of strategy that teams will use during a race. There are essentially one of two options. The first option is what is called the overcut. Um, the overcut is where you stay out longer than your opponent so that as they're warming up their tires after their pit stop, you can go faster and then pass them. The opposite of this is the undercut. This is where you'll pit first so that then when you have your fresher tires, you can go faster on your first lap out than your opponent can before they come into the pits. Um, and this week, I think we saw a, a pretty great variation um, of these you know, two sides of the coin, which uh, you know we'll talk about later, but you'll hear this talked about a lot during races when they're talking about strategy calls, um, about whether to pit or not. and um, if you know they should go long or short, they're talking about overcutting versus undercutting. Awesome, yeah, that's very helpful because you hear that a lot every single race, at least three times. You hear, "Oh, they're going for the overcut, they're going for the undercut." <laughs> and if if you're not listening to Pat's paddock, you'd have no idea what an overcut or undercut is. So appreciate you for explaining that. Yes, Kenley, sir. You have any you have any questions about overcut undercut for Pat? No, not necessarily for that, but, um, Pat, you know, maybe you can answer this question. Um, you know, you've got, you hear on the team radios, like we're sticking with plan a, or we're going to go to plan C. What does that kind of entail? And if that's, you know, if you don't want to get too deep into it, or maybe we just don't know because, you know, something like that. So we, we won't get too deep into it right now. Um, but when you'll hear the team saying plan A, plan B, plan C, before the races, they have a million different strategies to choose from uh, where they'll pit on X lap and use X tire and switch things like that up. And because all the teams can actually hear each other during the race, they can use those to try to fake each other out and then force the other teams to use a pit strategy that they shouldn't have actually used in the first place. Yep. And that's the reason I asked that question is because we'll discuss it a little bit later in the race. But I think that a key component that some folks may not know about Formula One is that every team can hear every radio communication that's going on, um, which that definitely plays into the game of the sport. Yep. So. Yeah, it definitely becomes a chess match mm -hmm. at that point. But OK, right, everyone, right. that was Pat's Paddock, another great segment in figuring out the formula. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to the qualifying portion of this race weekend. So qualifying, like we said last time, consists of Q1, Q2, Q3, three different sections where racers try to make it in. Uh, between Q1, Q2, Q3, five people each time get removed from the competition. So in Q1, all 20 drivers are competing. They're qualifying. Only the top 15 make it in to Q2. And then from Q2 to Q3, only the top 10 make it into Q3. We had quite a bit of drama uh, in the qualifying for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix this weekend. Um, I'd, I think we need to start with Nick DeVries. I mean, he spun on the first lap. Uh, on his, I mean, essentially his outlap. I mean, yeah, it hadn't, hadn't really much recorded a time, you know. Which kind of worked in his favor that he did it early on, so he was still able to kind of get a time in and all that. But um, I mean, we but, had some but had some action. The thing with Devries spinning, the whole reason why was because he wasn't able to take part in FP three, the practice. Yep. The same day of qualifying, he wasn't able to take part in that. So that was his first lap on the on the track that day was his qualifying lap and. He spawned immediately, and that was kind of like you're thrown off for the rest of the day at that point. Yeah, I mean, you're a little, you got to be a little timid on the on the throttle there after that. Like, yeah, I mean, he's got to take at least, I guess, a warm up lap if you haven't been doing anything that day. Uh, it's obviously really tough to adjust. That's why we have 
free practice. And this circuit is really unforgiving. Uh, the walls are really tight. They actually had to expand a couple of them, I think, between last year and this year because of crashes. And Nick DeVries does have a lot of experience, so I wouldn't really expect him to just crash like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of just a series of unfortunate events. But Nick DeVries didn't hit the wall, correct? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think he just lost the rear tires. And just yeah. Yeah, but he must have spun in the portion like you were talking about, the portion where they extended the walls. They pushed him out a little further. Yeah. You know who didn't? Orlando. He banged the, the wall. Tall, the tallest little person, the king of the McLosers. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Brown's little buddy. Uh, uh, he, he, it was in Q1, and he did it with just enough time to where they thought they could fix it and then they realized no he broke the suspension in his car they just drove he just drove straight into the wall and kind of messed up his suspension it was over with and look i i get it you know last year i don't know if it was last year or two years ago i think it was two years ago in the 21 race i mean max hit the wall on his hot lap and proceeded to not be able to get pulled because of that. Um, it is a very tight circuit. It's street circuit. We're going to see this again in Azerbaijan, Monaco, um, I guess technically Singapore as well. Singapore to me is not as tight, but um, you know, you're going to see it on these street circuits. So it's going to happen. It's just, you just, the, the, the theory of compounding errors from McLaren. I mean, you do it in like of the 18 minutes, you do it nine minutes in where, Oh, you don't, it's, you, you don't have time to go back out. It's just all we can do is shake our head at this one. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of compounding errors, like you said. Um, but I definitely think it's a lesson to be learned for the newer drivers to just show you how unforgiving F1 really can be. Because even if you know you tap the brake too hard or too late, or you tap the throttle too fast, you make the wrong little twitch of the steering wheel, your day could be over in an instant, just like that which I, I really hope that a lot of the rookies do, you know, take note of that uh, just because you can see how fast someone can go from hero to zero from the slightest mistake. Well, it's not even about crashing either. Right. So you're talking about like rookies understanding like what they can and cannot do on the track. Well, Logan Sargent, the American for driving for Williams, he didn't, qualify he didn't post a time because he kept exceeding track limits doing the same thing over and over and over again yep on the on the last turn of the track the line for pit lane kind of comes out onto the track and he would take it wide in order to get going and that would cancel that would be track limits and since he had been warned so many times once you exceed track limits like you cross your wheel over a certain line on the track yeah, your time is removed. It doesn't count, and so, and that's an, that the, that specific corner is an intricacy of like I know that they had discussed in you know most of the times we will see that if all four wheels are across the white line, that one specific corner at this one specific track is if one wheel is over, that's out of out of bounds, out, out, over the limits. Like so, yeah. you know, it's 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 that learning experience of Logan Sargent has never raced here because I don't believe. F2 raced there last year. Um, no, he was the only one to have never actually raced at this track. That's exactly what, that's what they said on Sky Sports, Sky Glass listener. I hit the red button. That's what they told me to do. That's right. Yeah. I so, held me the, hostage to it. The biggest thing for me with Logan Sargent's errors is one, because it's the pit lane lines, those have slightly different rules than other ones, and they're a lot stricter. But I definitely think he'll take it in stride in understanding that F1 is about finding the absolute limit of your capabilities and treading just on the finest margins of that line. And it didn't work out for him, but I definitely think he can, he can learn from it and improve you know, the I, next time around. I get what you're saying, but yeah, it's three strikes and you're out. So he got three separate warnings that said, hey, you are breaking track limits. You're exceeding track limits at this spot doing this. And he kept doing it. He got his yeah. lap deleted. And then he ran another lap. And then that lap got deleted. And then he qualified 20 
just because he didn't post a time. Well, yep. the, the laps that he was running, he was easily making it in a Q2, which is, like I said earlier, the top 15. But yep. since he kept making the same mistake, you can't do that. You, yep. can, you can make mistakes, but you can't make the same mistake multiple times. Well, while we're talking about the rookies, a couple of them were actually in the NQ1. They got kicked out. They did not make it into Q2. So the drivers who did not make it into Q2, who were out in Q1, were Sergeant and Last, Norris, DeVries, Albon, and Sonoda. Yep. I mean, it's kind of what we expect with the back, mm-hmm. middle of the pack. Just depends on the race, depends on the day, who's going to actually make it out of there or not. You're basically going to replace There's going to be a combination of two, yeah. either Williams or Haas's. So it's like you could interchange like Albon with somebody or, you know, if Sergeant learns how to run a course, Sergeant might make it through. Like I said, like the, the first week, the first Grand Prix, uh, Sergeant tied Lando Norris. But since Lando went first, he was able to make it into Q2. Sergeant was out in Q1. Well, this week, Logan Sargent qualified in Q with times that would make him into Q2, but with his mistakes like we talked about, he was out in Q1. So it's simple things like that where you're going to get a lot more benefit if you just put your head down and do the work, that kind of thing. So, so that was Q1. Uh, for Q2, I think there was, a, there was something that went on. I, I don't really know. Pat, what, what happened in Q2? So in Q2, uh, can't quite remember what point during Q2. I think it was with about seven minutes left. Uh, Max started noticing that he was losing his power uh, when he was about halfway around the track, of which uh, immediately I think Martin Brundle had guessed because you know, the car was still going and it wasn't slipping into neutral, that it wasn't quite a gearbox issue. So it had to be something later, which ended up being correct. And he had an issue with his drive shaft, which he ended up limping it back to the pits. But uh, his mechanics had, there was no way they were going to fix it in time. Um, And so he ended up being out in Q2 and started in 15th place. Along with Verstappen, we had Valtteri Bottas. We had Kevin Magnuson, Joe Granu, and Nico Hulkenberg. They were actually out in Q2 as well. Nico is a Haas, and he qualified 11, just straight up 11. He has shown pace in in both qualifyings. He made it to Q3 in Bahrain and and almost pushing the limit of Q3 here in um, Saudi Arabia. You know, I think the whole argument of of Rust on on, – because he was – he was out of the sport for a year. I mean, other than I think it was it was earlier and it was last year where he drove two races for Aston Martin because of uh COVID related issues, correct? I'm yep. pretty sure it was Saudi Arabia. Yeah, may have it, that yeah. he replaced <clears throat> yeah, I think yeah. he replaced, he replaced uh, Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel, yeah. So for Aston Martin in, in Saudi Arabia last year. So I mean for being out for just shy of a year to go out there in a car that you really didn't have a whole lot. I mean, and put up Q3 in the first race and then your Q, like your P11 um, in the second race. I mean, Hulkenberg's showing a little more talent than we thought because, you know, we kind of like a lot of people at the beginning of the year were like, well, what is there really much of a difference between Mick and, and Nico? Like, you know, like there's not going to be that much of a difference. But I will say that so far, Nico Hulkenberg is kind of showing signs of um, of being an improvement. By the way, which does remind me now that we're on the Haas-like topic, we did skip over a uh, Haas topic that happened off the track. I don't know if we want to go too far into detail with that. Um, Let's hear it. What what happened? So there has been some investigations going into Haas Automation, which is Haas Automation is the parent company of the – like they own – it really – the entire – the brief background of Haas – team racing team is that gene haas owns haas automations they make like cmc and milling machines and like machinery like to build stuff we'll get to that and he uses like stuart haas stuart haas racing in nascar and haas racing in in f1 as kind of like just advertisement for his equipment um well his guns a i learned this week that gene haas is a convicted felon for tax evasion um so allegedly 
I don't know if that's allegedly. I think that's been oh, no, proven. He is. He definitely. Yeah, is. that's proven. That's why he has all these um, ghost guns. He paid a fat <laughs> fine for it too. I think but I, I, we I, learned this week that apparently Haas violated like United States like treaties and packs by selling uh, knowingly selling like equipment to Russian weapons manufacturers. Um, so. <laughs> There's that going on. Can you um, imagine you order a Blicky off Dark Web or whatever, and it says Haas on it? You're like, ah, oh, damn, this shit's not gonna work. This sucks. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's fine if he's giving it to Russians because they're not gonna hit anything with it. But whatever. So, so here we are, a year removed from where we had a Russian driver as with a Russian sponsor on the team, and we said we're gonna wipe our hands clean of that because you know obviously the Russian Ukrainian conflict was fresh in our minds and new. We're going to wipe our hands, get rid of it. And then here we are a year later and find out that, oh, hey, Haas this whole time has been making making <laughs> milit- like weapon equipment that's being sold to the Russians. Like, But we have that that we're kind of monitoring and keeping an eye on the situation on. Like our radar is tuned on that to see what happens. Do we have another like force India situation where like, Oh, like the government's coming to the owner. So they got to sell the team off mid season. Like, I think they said that they had sold it before those sanctions came in or something like that. I don't know if it was like the transaction was still going through or what, Um, but who knows it's bad PR either way. It's, it's not a good look. So my question for you guys is what is one blicky icky that you think Gunther Steiner would shoot like that gene haas himself made for him i'm gonna go with like a gold-plated like draco or something what chan what do you think just give me one gun that gene haas made for gunther allegedly i i I would like to say he you know allegedly gunther's just a a classic give me a six-shooter revolver baby that's all we that's all we need you know with a little with a little gunther logo with the ray bands on the side engraved embossed (laughs) on it he puts on his shades that's it you know um and then and uh, i want to add one thing that along the barrel along the barrel is wankers is on is uh (laughs) is embroidered on it (laughs) i definitely i definitely think the gene Gene would probably give him like a Glock with an Extendo. <laughs> yeah, the mag. And yeah, no, just, I mean, talking like a drum mag on it. And I could definitely see Gunther just inscribing, get wankered on the side and then just airing the block out. I'm going to make an edit to my pick. So I've been pretty wrong with my pick so far this season, but in this hypothetical pick, I'm going to say instead of a gold Draco that Gene Haas gives Gunther Steiner a swivel cannon that he can put on the Gunther ship that they had. <laughs> what was it last year? Yeah, they needed the money. Yeah, so that's what Gunther has on his little tiny ship. And uh-huh. check out our social media at Figuring Out the Formula. It's on the screen. You'll be able to see exactly what we're talking about. There's actual proof of the swivel cannon that Gene Haas made Gunther Steiner. So go check it out. <laughs> there you go. That's it's just it's just not a good look. I mean, it's like you see it and you kind of it like it went it kind of came up and it went away, but at the same time, like it's all in the back of our minds of like, really? Like, hey, hey. I like what came of it? I learned that Gene Haas evaded taxes for millions of dollars this week and is a convicted felon, and that might be why why Gunther has to call Gene instead of Gene standing on the pit box. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, that was the qualifying part of this, uh, this race weekend. How about we have a little tailgate session before the race? Hey, I'm always down for a good tailgate. This one is for the FIA. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you. Solid. Some of us do. Yeah. Shout out Tracy consuming units. How about we make a pit stop here in Pat's paddock one more time, Pat. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, so the other thing I just wanted to review with all our listeners out there is who the stewards are. Um, so the stewards are essentially the FIA's referees for Formula One. Uh, this is a group of a number of different officials who they're responsible for everything from start procedures, safety cars, any, anything that's you know Max's first championship. Rule. 
Shout out, Michael. Summer saying. Uh, Thank you, Massey. All right. Sorry. Yeah. But they're 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 essentially responsible for enforcing all the rules of a Formula One race, handing down penalties, which we'll get into a bit later, um, and just essentially making sure everything's followed by the rule book. We're gonna move right into the race weekend. It was it, it was pretty fun. This race was actually a lot of people I saw on social media were shitting on it. Like they, I, they did not yeah. like it. That it, oh, it was a bad race. It wasn't good. <clears throat> I watched the entire thing. I mean, the only the only time I was texting was with you guys about what was going on. Here's I, what I, I thought I really it was a good think, race because I saw the same stuff on social media. I, I really think that the the surface level viewers like that are like see, hey, this is on ESPN. I mean, it's not too often we have the race that's on the mothership ESPN. They see it and they're like, okay, well, there wasn't really that many lead changes or anything. Like we never saw the leaders, but like if you're like a F1 fan or getting into the sport and you're at least have a decent understanding of the intricacies and all the different little storylines. It was a very good race. I mean, that's the equivalent. That's yeah. That's the equivalent of NASCAR fans are the actual fans love to see the partnerships and how the racing works like on regular tracks where Mm -hmm. they're going in an oval where they talk about like drafting and pit strategies and all this stuff. But all the new NASCAR fans just want to see a car flip upside down and just crash. You know, that's me. That's me. That's you. So, but that's the equivalent of what Chandler's talking about. Like the, the haters on social media for this Saudi Arabian Grand Prix saying it's bad. It it wasn't the leader. Mm -hmm. Like we'll say the first spot Checo was pretty much a wrap from lap 10 on basically. Other than that, it was great racing the entire time, unless you're a loser. Other than that, it was a really good race. I mean, I was loving it off the rip. Uh, Seeing Alonzo try to take it to Perez uh, right from the get-go was exhilarating. I mean, obviously, I'm a Red Bull fan, so I want Red Bull to win. But uh, it was really good to see Alonzo start to take the lead and for a couple minutes there, I thought, hey, maybe Aston <laughs> yeah. can actually hold on to this. And then I remembered that Adrian knew he designs cars. When, once they turned DRS on, it uh, it was game up, game yeah. over with that. But Alonzo kind of set up illegally. Do you guys want to do either one of you want to talk about mm-hmm. Alonzo's penalty that he got? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tackle the Alonzo start just because I'll let Patrick, the non-biased against McLaren, like right now, <laughs> he could tackle the Lando and Oscar stuff on the first lap. But, you know, Fernando, so we saw this lap two weeks ago in Bahrain where um, Esteban Ocon was set up just on the outside of his grid box. Uh, we saw the same thing. Now, this was, again, just like last week, you know, it took 15 laps to do it two weeks ago for Esteban. We noticed it, or the stewards noticed it on, like, lap two. Uh, but Fernando had set up a little bit outside of his box. To and the therefore, left. Yeah, it was to the left. So, um, <clears throat> therefore, the, you know, it gave him a little bit of a different angle than what the standard racing was so because of that there's a five second penalty which is the same we saw last week so it's not like it was anything different um as don't think that esteban got a hundred seconds of penalties that was just because he got more penalties and more penalties but you know it was noted by before we even finished the first lap that he was set up wrong um brings a bigger question into mind is what's has anything changed the fact that we've seen this twice in two races is kind of making me think has something changed in the cars or something like that where it's kind of difficult to see detect this or no i don't i don't believe so pat i'll let you talk here in a second and get your opinions on it but honestly i think i really do think that they were it was just a mistake like Mm -hmm. we were talking about logan Sargent's mistakes exceeding the track limits and stuff you can and cannot do well, Fernando Alonso made the mistake setting up. He was way left. It wasn't like Ocon was like his tire was barely over the line. <laughs> Alonso, I mean, he was parked in where our seats were in Coda, basically. Like his, his left tire was in the stands. You know what I mean? So it, it was, it, I don't, 
that can't just be a oh I set up wrong. He got his Fernando got his tires really really hot when he was doing burnouts on the front stretch trying to warm them up. Maybe he wasn't focused when he was pulling up to a spot. Who knows? We I mean, can't we can't speculate on that. But I think that it was just an honest mistake. Nobody's perfect. Is the thing. I mean, he's started more races than anyone ever in F one. Yeah. yeah. But now, for any of you listening to this. I, I challenge you to go and put F1 on whatever game console you play on, set it to the driver view, and tell me if you can see where your pit or your grid box is. Turn off the uh, starting grid assistance and then tell me how many tries it takes. Yeah, yeah, go go do a formation lap and pull up to the grid and let's see how many you get perfect. I mean, you can't see it. You know, there's a reason they draw big fat yellow lines across so they don't go out the front, but that go. The the yellow lines Pat is talking about they go feet like four feet yeah, they, five feet you, if you to look the, at the right of the extend to they they go to the right of the box to show where the front tire yeah, needs to be lined up to they're they're huge but there's no gauge for that uh, in terms of forwards and backwards you know you're basically kind of guessing if you're in the right spot in the middle of your grid box or not which I think a lot of drivers just kind of do it from memory and eyeballing it. But like you said, I mean, nobody's perfect, Yeah. which it's not a mistake. And a driver like Fernando Alonso can definitely correct that. It's probably not going to happen to him again, but yeah, it starts you out in a hole, which it, it does. But the big thing to take away from Fernando Alonso's penalty, he did not do what Esteban Ocon did. Esteban Ocon let that fluster him. He dropped back yep. in the pack while they were racing. So he lost spots after his penalty was announced. Then when he went into pit, he got the other penalty for touching his car too early, working on his car too early. That was a 10 second. Goes back out again and realizes that he was speeding during that penalty. So he gets another, uh, what was it? 10 second penalty or five, five, five. twos. Yeah. So, his penalties compounded and he had to retire from the race because he was no longer competitive, eligible for points, nothing like that. Well, Fernando Alonso, not only did he have the penalty, but he kept the lead for quite a while for relatively speaking. Yeah. Basically four laps, five laps. I mean, and he didn't have to serve his penalty till we'll talk about it later, but until the safety car came out. mm -hmm. So wasn't, I mean, it, it really wasn't detrimental to him. So he, you can easily let stuff like that affect your game, throw you off, and your race is ruined. So to see that he didn't, when I saw he got a penalty, it's like, damn, he's about to be like sixth, seventh, eighth place, depending on how far out they get. He's not getting a podium. Mm-hmm. Max is going to fly over him. Like, you never know. But luckily, that wasn't the case. So, Well, there's kind of two sides of a coin to you know, errors and issues like that on the first lap because the first lap pretty much sets the tone for most of your race. Um, and unfortunately for the both of you, Piastri got damage, Lando got damage, pitted immediately, and they, I don't think they even moved up from, you know, 15th and 16th or whatever they were at after that. I, I, think, I think the only person they beat on the track was Botas. <laughs> I don't have experience with this kind of thing in my it was bad luck. so far, but it's just the pile and mountain of shit just keeps getting worse for McLaren. So and it was it was bad placement because we already talked about Lando hitting the wall. That's a mistake. So he's already at a disadvantage. Piastri qualifies. What was it? Eighth. eighth. He was P eight. I put all my eggs in his basket as a McLaren fan. Yeah. Like, wow. I'm I was sorry. like, just sorry, P12. This- P12 would have been fine. I would have been happy. Yeah, sorry. This Easter bunny ran out of eggs, buddy, because... Yeah, mm-hmm. I got the chocolate egg that had nothing inside of it, the hollow chocolate egg. The one with salmonella in it. <clears throat> That's right. I just... Piastri qualified eighth, and you would think he'd set up pretty well. Well, he... Probably what I saw, obviously I'm biased, but he was conservative on the opening lap, he kind of got forced out, out wide by an Alpine, but the Alpine did not leave him enough room 
And McLaren didn't have any radio communications. Normally, like teams will bitch on the radio to get some kind of call or get the stewards to look at it or investigate an issue or whatever. Maybe there was. I don't have F1 TV or radio or whatever, so maybe. But I didn't hear anything having to do with that. It was kind of crazy to me that Zach Brown wasn't like, hey, they squeezed us out. They didn't leave me enough room. It caused damage. Basically, what happened is like the damage from Oscar Piastri's nose, like he broke his nose end plate, which is critical for Arrow. Yep. Well, like you said, Chandler, like the bad luck piling up, Lando Norris ran over the end plate, which yeah, damaged that's... which damaged his nose. So it was like it could have hit anybody, and it hit the other McLaren. It's like. I mean, I, I didn't hear anything about Zach Brown or Andre Stella, you know, trying to radio to the FIA and tell them to mm-hmm. take a look at it, um, of which, you know, they sh- they definitely should. Um, I mean, at least to just vouch for their team. That's yeah. kind of their job. Just like I try to about fight last for week. them. Yeah. But if they didn't, I'm just going to presume that, you know, Zach Brown has accepted that McLaren's kind of at the bottom of their barrel right now. And, you normally think of oh, the only way is up, but he understands that in F1, the only way is not up. No. And right now McLaren is just going further and further back. And at this rate, I mean, it's, it's honestly depressing from an outside point they're of last. view. They to can't see how get bad any they worse. They, they're last. They cannot get any worse. I, I agree. I hear what you're saying, Pat, but they, they keep just... saying every week their, their new social media posts is, Keep fighting, McLaren fans. We're we've got upgrades coming. We've got all did, this. So did if they're you gonna... happen to see the uh, the class presentation that Andrea Stella gave this afternoon? Yes. I mean, just it was this. Ugh. Thank you, McLaren fans. We We're really so sorry. Appre- we really appreciate your support. Keep fighting and love us because we're trying. We have upgrades coming. At the end of the day, we're still we are racers at heart, and we will continue to compete about this. Just give maybe, me a break. Maybe, what I said about Daniel Ricardo last year: just take me out to the farm and just leave me to my be. Like, just stop <laughs> pandering to me with this. It, it's it's insane to me because. And to give you an answer, no, on the live blog, there was no team radio communications from McLaren complaining about anything. So that was on Piastri for like just being too like eh, going through that turn and that's just that's sad because he's Mm -hmm. a rookie and his team should be fighting for him Mm -hmm. no matter what you know what i mean like if if checo or max was in their situation like in piastri's situation where he got squeezed like that oh christian horner would have had mrs horner like whooping that ass and the steward you know the fia radio up like a goddamn christmas tree dude yeah. Lewis would have had uh, Lewis would have had Angela sick Bruno on uh, on the stewards. <laughs> yeah, who? She ain't there no more. She's experiencing opportunity. Yeah, she belongs That's in the true. streets now. That's true. <laughs> she already did, bro. She <laughs> worked for Lewis Hamilton for eight years. That's true. I mean, like you would hear Lewis like, man, he squeezed in me, man. Like, cause he left me no space, man. I implore any of our listeners and any of our viewers, if you are to do one thing when it comes to watching an F1 race. Please tune in about 30 minutes early just to watch Martin Brundle do the grid walk because you get some comedic gold efforts where like he's trying to talk to Kevin Magnuson where Kevin Magnuson's talking to his engineers. So he's standing there and says, well, I'll give him about 10 to 15 more seconds. <laughs> Looks over outside the track, sees a steward there, like some Saudi Arabian citizen who probably volunteered for this event. And was like, sir, do you speak English? I was just going to talk to you while I'm waiting on Kevin Magnuson here. Like you the, can't get this anywhere. The, the guy, the marshal, was like, he he heard him and he like started to walk over to actually talk to Martin Brundle, and then he's like, Martin Brundle's like, all right, thank you, and yeah. just went right to you. Uh, <laughs> mind you, like Magnus. some some of you that like, if you're new to F1, you may have seen this where last year, um, <clears throat> last year, like in Miami, 
Uh, he was doing his grid walk and confused Paolo Banchero for Patrick Mahomes, like, and just walked up to Paolo Banchero and was like, Patrick Mahomes, so good to see you here. Who are you thinking? <laughs> like, I implore you to tune in 30 minutes early just to watch the Brundle grid walk because of how you can get so many good snippets about it. So, but, but I digress. If, if not for Martin Brundle, if you tuned in 30 minutes early to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, you could have seen what was quite possibly the worst rendition of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix that, terrible. that I've mean, ever heard. I mean, I, I don't mean to brag, but I am a black belt on the recorder in fifth grade, and I could have played mm-hmm. that shit way better because it sounded like people were fucking dying. Like, all right, so we know that the Chris Stapleton Super Bowl National Anthem is, like, the top <laughs> bar. This was the exact opposite, like, at a negative. This was negative the National Anthem. I'm yeah. telling you. But it yeah. needs emphasis that this was horrible. Like, I mean, that if I was a Saudi Arabian citizen, there'd be many things going through my head. Oh, but I'd like, be sending but that very would be a new strongly one. worded emails to whoever that conductor is. Because she's probably dead already. Saudi Arabia, she's probably dead. That was garbage. That was horrible. I've never even heard the Saudi Arabian national mm. anthem, and I know that was not it. That was not <laughs> that was it. it. There's no way. What they do that? I don't like. It sounded like they took the middle school band out to like go to go play yeah. and be like, yeah. That's, that's like your like, fear when your kid joins band and they're like, oh, this kid oh, no. sucks, but you're like, we're supportive. <laughs> that's Maybe. what. Maybe that's you should the, play triangle, like ding. Yeah, that's what the kingdom of Saudi Arabia did today. They're just, ah, we're so proud of you. Thank you. And now none of them are actually playing any instruments ever. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. So I guess that wraps up Lando and Oscar's damage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, you could sum up. I mean, Kyle, you said it best in our group text. Like, I hope that national anthem is not an omen for this race. It was, it was an omen from McLaren's performance and in this was. race. I mean, it, it just—it was horrible. It's the epitome of a train wreck. Okay, the opposite of a train wreck, which recently has been Ferrari and Ferrari strategy, so much so to where they had to fire their team principal. Or well, I mean, he resigned. So Ferrari had a pretty good implementation of their strategy this past Grand Prix. Uh, Pat, would you like to explain what actually happened with Ferrari and their whole undercut, overcut, that kind of thing? Yeah. So before I want to get into this, I just want to say they're improving. For those of you that don't know, Ferrari have had terrible strategy the last couple of years, courtesy of their head strategist, Iñaki Reda. They finally fired him and things are finally looking better for them, which is great to see. Bless up. So you were just talking about overcut and undercut and plan A, plan B, things like that. Um, so pretty early on in the race, um, some of the teams had elected to use uh, softer tires and do their pit stops early and then go long on a hard stint for the rest of the race. Now, Ferrari at the very beginning of the race was in close contention with Lance Stroll of Aston Martin. Um, I think he was pretty much right on Carlos Sainz's tail while Charles Leclerc was catching up um, from the middle of the pack where he started out. Um, You heard Ferrari come over the radio. They were talking about which plan they wanted to use and if they wanted to box or not and come into the pits, of which Lance Stroll's team then heard that and told Lance Stroll to basically copy what he's doing and come into the pits. Well, Carlos Sainz had actually faked them out and was actually going long on an overcut. And then he forced Lance Stroll to undercut and pit early and kind of waste some of his tires. Well, after that pit stop, and then after Carlos Sainz's subsequent pit stop, Carlos Sainz ended up staying ahead. And then even further on, Charles Leclerc actually ended up coming out uh, near them as well. And Ferrari, the master plan for you know, 10 minutes of our lives finally happened <laughs> and they completely faked out Aston Martin went long on the overcut. And then Aston Martin's car for Lance Stroll was almost in the gutter for their race plan because they completely got duped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting because I was, they were talking on the broadcast about like how many laps you could go. I forget which tires they were on hard or medium, or whatever. They were talking about the range that they could go and they were 
pretty short from it. So when they started talking about signs going into pit, I was like, well, it's kind of early. My brother's like, is Carlos going in? And then they showed the camera of Stroll going in. in yep. The pits already. I was like, nah, they were talking about Stroll. He's like, no, they were talking about a Ferrari. I was like, hmm. And then the only- when, when Stroll left the, the pit lane, that's when they were like, yeah, Carlos Sainz baited him into going in. Basically what happened, like you were saying, like they just kept going. So now that and, now that Carlos Sainz didn't have anyone to worry about, he just hauled ass around the track for what two more laps and then he finally yep. pitted. By and, the time he and Leclerc pitted, they were ahead of Stroll. So and what, it was what, perfect. what played into it from a team aspect was that so Leclerc was on softs and the soft tire window had kind of had we were in the in the window for the soft tires where you needed to pit. So it really by Carlos faking out Stroll, it helped Charles get up there. Yeah, I mean, um, he, pa- he passed It was Stroll. a great team aspect. I mean, if, if if you'd have told me that was going to happen and one team was going to successfully, would never have thought it would have been Ferrari to pull that off. No. The only thing is it didn't really count for a whole lot because even though both Ferraris passed Stroll, not long after Stroll actually retired from the race, he caused a safety car. I don't... I still don't know. I thought it was brakes, but then they were talking about, oh, we don't know if it's brakes. He like pulled over to a pull-off spot right off the track, and they called a safety car. Pat, do you know what happened? So I think it was indeed a brake issue, um, like some severe overheating, uh, because you could hear his uh, pit wall call to him and really urgently tell him to just stop the car altogether. Mm-hmm. Usually in my experience, that's because either a something is about to fall off and destroy your car or B your car is severely overheating in some aspect of which when he pulled off, he pulled off to a pretty good spot, right where there was a Marshall stand mm-hmm. yeah. and they actually ran over and immediately started spraying his car down with a fire extinguisher on his uh, front right wheel. And you know, there wasn't any crazy fire, but I would definitely suspect that it's, you know, some issue with his brakes overheating, uh, which obviously you don't want your brakes to fail when you're trying to make a turn. <laughs> not, no, at, we saw it. not at 206 miles an hour. We saw it at the starting grid. Was it Fernando's or was it Lance's? It was like, Lance's. The, it, from, the yeah, so at, yeah. at, from the get-go, you saw the Aston Martin, like the, just smoke coming off where the brakes were already kind of overheating. Yep. So I think there was something wrong with that from the get-go. I yeah I agree, but for them to have a safety car, that was that I don't was, agree with the safety was, car. There, FIA's was, reasoning was because they said that the car, the, you know, the, the car had all these GPSs, and the GPS said that the car was on the track. Now it might have been a piece of the wing that was on the track, but that was their reasoning. I don't agree with that. I think that's if you're the stewards or the race director, that's where you look at it and say, I think we're good. Virtual safety car, maybe at the worst, maybe. I, yeah, I call bullshit. I call bullshit because the stewards are also watching. They have cameras too. So not only mm-hmm. do they have GPS locations of every single car, they are also watching to see because yep. how else are they going to determine like what happened in an incident when right. someone hit someone else? They're watching these videos, so they have a live stream like the viewers do. The Lance Stroll pulled right into a pull-off area where. Marshals do not need to go onto the track, and they called a safety car. Yeah, I mean, he pulled and... he pulled almost all the way behind a barrier. Like that's how yeah. far off he went. There, there really wasn't any major safety issue to the people on the track. No, so I don't agree with a safety car. Maybe a virtual safety car, virtual yeah. safety car at the most, because yes, there's no marshals on the track, but just a yellow flag. Prob like if anything were to happen, someone gets. Turn. yeah that's well, just, dangerous there's no, whatever, there's no, there's no there was no danger in the area and it's just kind of a common sense mm-hmm. thing yeah but you know there was some mistake that happened somewhere and they called a full safety car of which i don't i don't agree with it but you know we obviously can't change it now let's be so honest was, it didn't really affect the outcome of the race i mean so that was know. due to lance stroll having brake issues well Another driver that retired due to brake issues was actually Alex Albon. You guys want to talk about that? Yeah. So this really 
kind of jabbed me in the heart a little bit. Like I said before, I really want Williams to do well. And they they looked promising. I thought that Alex could maybe make it up into the points by the end of the race. Uh, he looked good. It didn't look like he was creating many errors or anything like that. And then just to hear him come over the radio and say that his brakes are shot, uh, it was really disheartening for me to hear. Um, and I think even James Vowles echoed the same sentiment. You know, it was a promising weekend for them, but you know he he limped it back in, and I don't think there was anything they could do about it, uh, just because it would it would just take too much time, and so they ended up retiring, which it's unfortunate, but they're they at least looked like they're moving in the right direction. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think as a t- as a team as a whole, they they look like they're starting the extra wind tunnel time has helped. Yeah, for sure. I mean, James Voles, he's the team principal for Williams. He also was actually on the broadcast during the race weekend with Sky Q, Sky Glass listeners. If you hit the red button, he would not kill your firstborn son. <laughs> but instead, he would use Chandler's headset. Let's give us a peek, Chan, of your signed Voles headset. Look your at that. Xbox 360 headset. Yeah, where he had the worst comms of all time. But either way, yeah, Alex Albon kind of got the shit end of the stick. It was it was pretty good. He had a great weekend and then it just kind of ended, which was not too Yeah, it's it's disheartening, but that's the nature of F1. You know, your car is gonna break down sometimes. But from what I what I saw from Williams this weekend, I definitely think that they're still moving in the right direction we got you know, from 21 early. more races and i think that we're gonna by the end of the year we're gonna see look back and think like you know this was a good learning experience and a good building block for them these first two weeks yeah and <clears throat> i was just gonna say logan Sargent obviously didn't get near the points but you know he's i mean i i would not get anywhere near the points if i was on this track for the first time in a race especially in a williams um but they definitely look like they're they're moving at least they're not just stagnating like they did last year. Well, speaking of like moving Pat, I know we already went to Pat's paddock, but let's take another trip. Let's get a fresh set of tires. Can you discuss what the fastest lap means and how it can affect the season or a driver? So the fastest lap, um, there's one point given for it every race. The point will only actually be given out, though, if you finish in the top 10 uh, finishers. So if you're, you know, 15th or something like that, and then you get the fast slap at the end of the race, congrats, you don't actually get anything for that. But no one else gets it as well. Correct. And so a lot of teams will use this if, uh, I think we saw, I think Max or Checo do it one or two years ago in Silverstone. Uh, essentially just steal the point away from another team where they weren't in contention. So they said, okay, well, if I can't have this, you can't either. And you'll see them pit very late in the race for a fresh set of softs and then just bang in a lap so that the other team can't get this point. And, you know, in F1, every single point matters. Um, And so you've seen a lot of instances where, um, I mean, even in 2021, where it was coming down late in the season, tied on points going into the last race, well, all those fastest lap points throughout the year, and they add up. Um, And I think this year we're starting to see uh, more of the rivalry between Max and Checo because they both want to prove that they can be a champion. And we actually saw a pretty good fight for this this fastest lap point. Um, Checo led pretty much all the race. Max, you know, he's just trying to do the impossible last to first challenge. Uh, Max ended up in second, and you could see that uh, for about 10 or so laps, you know, Max was essentially keeping the same distance to Checo. I think it was about four and a half seconds. Uh, We could see them stagnating. So I was thinking, oh, maybe this is Checo, you know, deciding to show that, you know, he's got what it takes to lead. Um, And then we start to see Max drop back just a little bit to where he's about six seconds back. And we could hear some communications going on between them and their race engineers talking about, are we going for fastest lap? What's Checo doing? What's Max doing? And they kind of half-heartedly told both of them to just maintain the pace and play nice. 
and then they kind of told him to go for it. And Max drops back to save some fuel. And then on the very last lap, just puts in a banger lap and stole the point on the very last lap of the race, which Checo well, I mean, was not happy about. I mean, but they're teammates, right? So what's the big deal if Max gets the fastest lap? What's the outcome of the race? Checo still won, correct? But what happens? Checo, he won. Checo won, but because of that fast slap point, Max is actually still in first in the drivers' championship. Which... Yep, because you had basically a reversal of one two, so twenty five and eighteen points. So they're tied on where they finish. But Max got fastest point in Bahrain. Had Checo got fastest point, uh, or Max did not get fast. Neither one of them got fastest lap in Bahrain. So they had twenty five and eighteen, twenty five and eighteen. Whoever got this fastest lap point is the leader after two yeah. races. It's one point. It's mm. very early on in the season, but who's to say that one point doesn't make the difference? Um, you know, this is the big the big difference between your two championships. You have a constructors championship for your team, but there's a drivers championship and every person on the grid wants to win that. Um and I think that this year we're going to see a little bit of more of infighting after last year I think Checo kind of just rolled over and said, "Okay, Max, you can have it." And I don't, I personally don't think Checo will win this battle in the long run, No, but I don't think he's going to like go out quietly. You know, he's going out swinging Mm -hmm. uh, with this kind of thing. And I definitely think we're going to see some more battles later in the year for situations like this, where, you know, one's holding up the other, they're trying to go for the fastest lap and everything like that. So I definitely think that'll be really interesting to see how that pans out later in the season. Yeah. That's interesting to you talk about like i definitely agree with you like checo i don't think can win the fight but he's not going to just roll over like a dog you know what i mean but the 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 biggest battle we saw this entire race actually happened after the race it was with aston martin racing so fernando alonso everybody has been racing since the wheel was invented um he's old as dirt but he's fucking amazing at racing he is he's the goat the goat No, but Fernando Alonso, he he actually today was his 100th podium finish. So that penalty we were talking about earlier with his alignment led to another penalty that Ocon had. So Ocon's second penalty last Grand Prix was that his crew touched his car too early. Well, what happened this time the jackman, the rear jackman for Fernando Alonso put the jack underneath the car but didn't raise the car up yet. It went by the entire Grand Prix after he served his penalty. And then at the end of the race, the FIA said, yeah, we know it's your 100th Grand Prix, but sorry. Yeah, you touched the car early. That's a 10-second penalty. You're in fourth place now. Well... Aston Martin Racing, a team who is not used to being on the podium, decided to fight for their guy. That's right. We were talking earlier about fighting for your team, that kind of thing. They decided to challenge the penalty. Well, basically, they what Aston Martin did, Aston Martin Racing had evidence of seven previous instances where the rear jackman had put the jack underneath the car but did not raise it up while the penalty was being served. So for five seconds, you can't touch the car. And they, in the rules, it says like, even the Jack can't touch it, whatever I'm paraphrasing, but there were seven instances where no one else was penalized like that. So the FI said, well, there's a precedent here. Like obviously seven times before this, we allowed it. So we can't just not now, especially since it's your 100th podium. I think that has something to do with it if it was up to me, but basically the FI is like, you know, yes, sir. We bow to you, Fernando Alonso. (laughs) You've been here longer than any FIA steward or, you know, since Jesus Christ, basically. So, well, it's, it's honestly pretty pathetic from the stewards. Uh, They, really should have just gotten this right the first time and not waited. And I, I read, the, I read the, uh, what's it called? The, the directive that they put out about the incident. And it essentially said that they agreed that there was no problem. And then later they got notified 
that there was a problem. And then they said, okay, yeah, here, take the penalty and then took it back, which is ridiculous. I know, Pat, you don't have to cry over all this. Like, <laughs> just so sad they tried to take Fernandez podium. So the FIA waited way too long. The first being they waited way too long to determine that there was a penalty. The FIA sporting regulations, article 16.3 says, quote, any decision or communication concerning a particular competitor should be given to him within 25 minutes of such decision, end quote. It took took an hour. It took more than 30 laps for a decision on Alonzo's penalty. That's Mm -hmm. absurd. I think that they knew if they actually tried to enforce it, it'd be like, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like this shit's not happening. Sorry. Um, the, the, the my second issue with the whole thing is that there was no warning to the fans. So if we weren't paying attention to social yeah. media, we would have never known that there was something going on where they were talking about. It. There might have been one or two instances where they discussed it on the actual like the actual telecast, but there were no you know at the top where it pops up and says Hey, this steward investigating yeah. car or whatever. That never happened. So the, the first time mean, I saw that, about it was legitimately fucker. Does that mean that the telecast did not receive the communications? Or does that mean that the stewards never actually received an official complaint? <clears throat> Chandler, what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, as a fan, like even as someone who follows this a good bit, obviously, the first thing I see about it is that after the race is over, 20 minutes after the race is over, F1 posts a breaking news graphic on their Facebook and Instagram saying breaking news, Fernando Alonso penalty was served improperly, 10-second penalty awarded, dropping him to P4, stripping his podium. Like, what a terrible, like, just what a terrible way to, like, sit there and announce that anyway. Like, but, and on top of that, like, we, we, I didn't know about the whole 25 minute rule. Like, like, so this is a good hour after the, after the actual incident happened. But I will say, even though they kind of fucked up doing that whole social media post, it wasn't the worst social media post. Yeah. We got the, uh, the circuit, the, the circuit of the Americas on their Twitter, oh. verified Twitter account. I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. It it was it was nice. I mean, they complimented. They said, "quote Perez takes it home. Perez Sergio Perez wins the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix." Except for the fact that they put fucking Carlos Sainz's face on the graphic. So you know, there saying. are twenty drivers. You have a one in twenty shot, and yeah. it just any any messed mean, it's it like, up. It's like look at the graphic that you're posting. It literally said Carlos Sainz's name on there. Oh, and they it's, tried to they tried deleting it too, and obviously way, they we just got forget. flamed. Yeah, we they got forget. We have the receipts. Let it be known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I got that screenshot on my phone still. Yeah, you got flamed. Me too. You want to charge us fifteen hundred? You want to charge yeah. us fifteen hundred dollars for general admission passes? Yeah. Let me remind you of what you yeah. did earlier this year. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah don't get, don't put that evil on us. If I'm gonna pay twenty dollars for a beer and get sunburned at the same time. You're gonna put the right driver on this social media, okay? I'm just just gonna put that out there. So, all right, everyone. Well, that was the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix presented to you by figuring out the formula. I'm Kyle. I'm with Chandler and Patrick. We had a great time talking about this past weekend. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends and family, and anybody else who you think should get into Formula One. Thank you.